0: okay we are recording let me get this going again okay uh this morning what did we say we're going to talk about up here in front of front of me this morning uh the beginning I told you we were be talking about the beginning and the end. This week, we're going to talk about the beginning. Next week, we're going to talk about the end. But uh, as a way to frame our conversation this morning, there's a question that uh, uh, often happens in our household. Uh, we ask, you know, who is responsible for this? Who is responsible for this? Again, it's often repeated. Most recently, it was just yesterday, in fact. I went to go take a shower. And right at the moment that I am soaking wet, I reach to go get the soap. It's body wash. I don't know if you all use body wash or hard soap. Uh, I'm a big fan of the body wash. I go to get the body wash. It is not there. It is missing. Uh, And uh, someone stole my soap. How does this happen? Well obviously my boys ran out of soap in their shower so they appropriated the soap that is in my shower. So there I am soaking wet hollering at the top of my lungs. Who is responsible for this as if I didn't know? Okay? I knew who. I wanted to know specifically who, though. That, that question is also frequently asked when, uh, for instance, my wife happens upon a cup or a can that is on the coffee table and it is not above a coaster. It's a major foul in our house. So my, my wife might ask, who is responsible for this? Who did this? Okay. When we see that mud has been tracked into the house, that's the question we hear. Who did this? We find their their shoes or their clothes in random places throughout the house. We ask them, who left their shoes here? And let me tell you, I'm convinced my shoes, my, my kids' shoes, are somehow procreating because they multiply. They multiply over and over again. I see one pair of shoes there. When I go to bed at night, the next morning I'm there, there's five pair all of a sudden. I don't know how it happens, but it happens, I assure you. Okay, so again, in this situation, and like those other situations, we're more concerned about the who of the situation, not how. There. I know how the soap goes missing. I know how it happens. I want to know who. And if there's a central idea that I'd like to put in your head right at the onset of our discussion today, it's that. You know, what's the main point? I'm going to give it away right at the start of our discussion time here. The thing that we should be most preoccupied in this discussion that we're about to undertake is the who more so than the how. We're going to talk a lot about the how today, but I want you to be walking away here understanding more about the who rather than the how. Okay, so what are we talking about today? Again, I told you last week for the next two weeks, we we'll would be talking about the beginning and the end. So today we're talking about the beginning. If I can get this to work. in the beginning, in the beginning, we're talking about the beginning. Um, and, uh, Creation itself. And in this discussion, much like my illustration about the kids stealing soap or not using a coaster, the essential takeaway, again, is the who, not the how. I know how my kids do the things they do. I want to know who. Having said that, we will discuss quite a bit of the how. We are going to discuss. We got to get it out. We got to talk about it. But again, what I want you to walk away with is more so focusing on Uh, the who, not necessarily the how. But even if we don't agree on the how, that's okay. Same thing that we're going to talk about next week when we talk about the end. We're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, uh, I was just uh, talking with, was it Millie? Was I talking about, yeah, I was talking with Millie just beforehand and she was asking me specific questions about the end of time and and how I think that's going to go down. I have a very specific opinion about it and I'm going to share that with you next week. Uh, But again, if we don't agree on that, it's okay because there's more than, than one interpretive view that is held in high regard as far as Scripture is concerned, okay? Um, but like I said at the start of the conversation, we're going to discuss a little bit of the how today and, uh, and how he did it. How did he create this, this giant marble we call the earth and everything that is even beyond that? I love the fact that Scott talked a little bit about that this morning in the sermon, just the, the enormity of uh, of the creation, the enormity of the of the galaxies, and he he said uh, he mentioned some kind of number, the, the number of stars that are out there. I think he said, 200, million billion, 200 billion trillion. I can't even wrap my mind around a number. That's how many stars? Two hundred billion trillion. It's a one with a, a twenty-three zeros. Uh, that's how many stars are out there. That is an enormous number. Okay, now. Imagine, imagine you have a non-believing friend and that friend challenges you on your belief on the premise that set up for us in the Bible. Good morning. Come on in. Uh, that set up for the, us in the Bible that the earth and everything in it, the animals, the plants, the mountains, the oceans, humanity, all of it was created in six days. And oftentimes this, this is a non-starter for non-believers because at least as they see it, they feel that it requires them to, to check their, their brain in at the door, or, or, or that it requires them to discount science, okay? Because what does science tell us? The science books tell us that the earth is billions and billions of years old, and at least to some, that idea is in conflict with what is understood in historical Christianity. And, and this, is, this is really, this is, believe it or not, this is more of a recent controversy, Uh, because this wasn't a topic that we struggled with in in the church even just a few hundred years ago, even a hundred years ago. Uh, For much of our church history, creation has been a topic that most Christians could agree upon. The the Bible says that God created the earth and, and all that is in it in six days and rested on the seventh. And by and large, for at least around at least the first 1500 years of the church, we all agreed on the notion that God created the earth in six days or 144 hours give or take a few minutes, right? But then fast forward a few hundred years and countless scientific developments, the fact that we can count, I can't even get the number right, 200 billion trillion stars, right? The fact that we can count that and have some idea on that, that is, that's a recent discovery. We couldn't do that before. We could just say, oh, there's about a thousand, right? You know, when you're eyeballing it, right? And now we can say, no, it's into the billions, trillions. Okay, so up to just a few years ago, it had been widely interpreted by scripture that the world is perhaps about 6,000 years old. And biblical scholars would use the, the, the genealogical accounts in Genesis to Adam, and they determined that the earth couldn't have been in about six or 7,000 years old. Then, again, with all the scientific advancement and discoveries, uh, one of those discoveries, for instance, had to do with the speed of light and how fast uh, the speed of light goes and the distance that the stars that are generating that light, how far it travels and how fast it travels. And many of these, these, these billions of stars that are, that are millions of miles away, billions of miles away, right? And if we're receiving light from those stars, that light would have had to originate more than six or 7,000 years ago. That light would have had to come from its source into the millions or billions of years ago for us to be receiving that light now. This is fascinating to me. I don't know if you geek out on any of this stuff, but I think it's utterly fascinating that the light that we're seeing from a star now started traveling to us millions or billions of years ago and is just now reaching to us, okay? Uh, and so when you, you think of something like that, you think, okay, wait a minute. If the earth is only 6,000, 7,000 years old, you know, uh, how is it that we have something that is generating a light source, say, a billion years ago? How do you have reference for that? Now, an easy answer, easy answer for that is is that can God create something that has the appearance for a billion years? Can He do that? Of course He can. Of course He can do that. Hold on to that thought, though. All right. It's the same thing with carbon dating and determining the age of certain rocks that they give an appearance of thousands and thousands and thousands of years old but what we to make of that again yes god can make a rock that is a day old that gives the appearance of a rock that is a billion years old he can do that but i would ask you as would other people why would he do that why would he do that and again this makes this is sort of a side uh, uh, thought what did uh what did adam look like when he was created did adam look like a 20-something-year-old? So he would have been a day old, right? Or in the moment he was created, minutes old, but had the appearance of a, of a man? Again, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but it's fun to think about, at least for me it is. I don't know if for you if you, if you uh, <laughs> think, hmm, if that's one of those things that makes you say, hmm. So again, he may have his reasons that I don't understand, uh, but what, what, if, what if he gave us rocks that look millions of years old because they're actually millions of years old, okay? And if that's the case, what do we do as Bible-believing Christians, uh, that what do we have to say about that, all right? You see, here's something I want you to understand at the onset of this. God reveals himself to us in his word, all right? He reveals himself to us in his word. Um, does he reveal himself to us in any other ways besides his word? I could be opening up a can of worms here, so I'm going to be careful. But does he? Do you think he reveals himself to us in other ways besides his word? Yes? Yes. Yes. What does Psalm 19 say? It says, why is my clicker not working? Psalm 19, 1-2, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day-to-day pours out speech. Again, day-to-day pours out speech. the heavens, the creation pours out speech, and night to night revealed knowledge. What's this telling us? Creation itself reveals to us something about God. Is it possible that creation, special revelation about how we might read the account of creation. Is that possible? Creation and God's worth are both his revelation. You know, that's something we want to as we look at Genesis 1, okay? Um, you, as people, most of you, I would imagine, are, are, are people of faith uh, if you're here today. Presumably. All who believe that the scripture is the inerrant, infallible word of God. How do you answer questions for your unbelieving friends and family members? Literally, this is a make or break issue for people. I I can't believe in a religion that requires me to believe that the earth is only six or seven thousand years old when science tells me clearly otherwise. So in light of that, I have to categorically reject the entire Bible and everything in it. Okay, I had a discussion about this uh, at Music Row with with a person who was in the church, came to church. can't do it? And and I got to tell you some things, okay? Let's have it. It was a long conversation. It was fascinating. Um, Now, at the risk of having some of you point out some of my points here on my outline before I do, let me ask you this. What do you say? How do you answer that question? How might you answer that question? How do you answer those who reject the idea of a world created in six days, citing that it's a scientific impossibility? It's irrational. It's unreasonable. How might you respond to that if you have someone saying that to you? A day to God might be a thousand years. You're getting one step ahead of me. We'll go ahead and reveal what we have here, because I had that verse very planned, ready to go. Believe it or not, get the clicker to work. But do not, oh boy, this is, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day, 2 Peter 3.8. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So, given verses like that, how does that bolster? How does that serve your argument? I'm not necessarily you, Millie. If you can answer that, if you'd like, but anyone else, because I know many of you might be thinking the same thing, right? How does that bolster? How does that help you, sir, Dave? I don't think it does. You don't think it does. You don't think it helps. Why is that? Okay, it was morning and there was evening. So maybe pointing specifically to the fact that maybe that we're talking about a specific day, not a thousand days as, as one or one is a thousand. Okay. All right. Anyone else have anything they want to chip in there, throw in there? A sidebar? I'll allow it. That's very very courtroom. <laughs> Mm-hmm. argument that you wouldn't find a watch in the desert and look at it and say well, ah. I can't imagine somebody created mm-hmm. this I mean, look at the universe look at look at everything that you right. see in the world around you and it's, that's revelation right so what dean is pointing out here is just like we talked about at the beginning you know where we're going where we're going to end that this conversation is right there is is the fact that we're talking about more so more so than the how is the who and what the, what we want to take away from that is that yes uh, what the creation points to, regardless of 6 billion days, trillion. The most important thing that we want to walk away with is, is that it was, it was done intentionally. There's order here. It's not chaos. We're not just a random marble shooting through space. It just got here by accident. There's order. That's where we're going to end up. Uh, I'll go ahead and continue, okay, because there's a lot to talk about here. What we read about, uh, for instance, the sun in a day. Well, again, if you could take these verses, but Dave would object, right? You could take these verses and say, well, again, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Don't look at those numbers as as a mathematical ratio, for instance, Look at those numbers and draw the conclusion that we're being told that God is not bound by time or space, that God is not limited by time like we are. He is infinite. He's infinite. So that means he's not bound by time. That's if you can think about that for a little while, that will will blow your mind. Because everything to us, everything to us is engaged by that. How many of you have ever run on a treadmill? OK, time is OK, especially there's there's never been a more real when you've got one minute to go <laughs> and you're about to die, right? That is, a, so you have an awareness of time, time, uh, a minute to go, whereas God, it, that is not, that's not even on his radar, all right? Okay, so again, don't look at those numbers as, as, a, as, as a mathematical ratio. Um, so when, when we read that God created the sun and the moon in a day, are we to believe that means he created them in a six, 24-hour periods? Ultimately, here's, here's, here's the question that we're asking you know, is this something metaphorical? Is this, uh, is this something uh, um, literal? Okay, come on. It's going to go too, isn't it? Do we read the... Do, <laughs> do we read the... You have my answer already. <laughs> do we read the... Okay, you have the answer up there, but don't look at it for a second. Let me ask you this. For instance, when I believe in the third chapter of Genesis, when we first meet the serpent, that Adam and Eve actually encountered a talking serpent? Or is it possible that maybe the Bible is speaking in a metaphor or symbolically? Do we read that literally? Don't answer that. Okay. Before you answer that, let me ask you this. How about when the Bible speaks of Moses dividing the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk across on dry land? Do we believe that actually happened? Or is it some sort of symbolic parting of the Red Sea? Do we read that account literally? Or let's go to the New Testament. Are we really to believe that Jesus walked on water? Or maybe that too is some sort of symbolic description of sorts. Are we to read that account literally? So if we believe that those accounts actually took place, miraculous events, miraculously, Create your 6,000 years ago. Can't say I blame you. All right? Let, let me ask the question another way, another roundabout sort of way that, that will get us closer to where I'm going with this right there. David was a man after God's own heart. And by the way, we're about to, uh, in, in February, we're going to really dig into this kind of a study, understanding the different genres that are in throughout the Bible and how you read them according to what they are. But anyway, Dave was a man after God's own heart is what we're told in the Bible. That seems like a really good title to have. I, I wouldn't mind being that said of me. He's a man after God's own heart. I'll take it, right? Uh, I would think we'd all want to, uh, to be uh, commented like that. Well, David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery, ergo, we can commit adultery. Right, right. Wrong, right? I mean, if David is one of our heroes, okay, that's a bad conclusion. We read about Solomon too. Solomon was granted godly wisdom. And if a wise man like Solomon can have a hundred wives or more, does that mean we can have a hundred spouses or more? Bad conclusion. What's the error I'm making here, okay? Many of those passages in the Old Testament are what we call historical narrative, okay those are descriptive accounts of what's happening uh they're detailing events as they happen the that portion of scripture um is not for instance the law the law like in exodus 20 you have 10 commandments that's not being descriptive in the 10 commandments that's being prescriptive it's telling you what to do whereas when you read about an account of david doing whatever david's doing that's not a direct command like live like david no the author is describing something to you, describing the. So, in other words, this is where I'm going with this. You read the law, for instance, differently than you would read historical narrative. You interpret historical narrative different than you would interpret poetry. Poetry differently than you would interpret one of Paul. uh, Paul's letters. Paul's letters are different than a, than a book of prophecy. You, you can read them and consider them. what they are so do you take different books of the bible literally do we interpret genesis and the opening accounts uh, that we read there literally yes (laughs) here this is why i want to do a big reveal here i think it's probably because i'm trying to record the on the laptop and do a presentation at the same time one day i'll get this figured out uh, yes, you read it and you interpret it according to the type of literature that it is. So if anyone ever asks you, do we read the Bible literally? The answer is unequivocally, yes. But again, you read this type of literature differently than you might read this type of literature. I'll give you further examples here, okay? Uh, actually put that in your pocket for a minute come back to that. Uh, Let's start talking about creation as it it reads in Genesis 1. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to me. I will have it up here if I can get this to cooperate. See if I can't get it going early. Um, But uh, I want to read at least the first uh, 13 verses. As As I read them, I want you to be thinking of what it sounds like that you're hearing. Does it sound like historical narrative? Or does it sound like poetry? Or does it sound like something else? Okay, we have a few different genres in the Bible. Okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening. It's going to jump forth here. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Come back. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The third day. Okay, there we go. So far, what do you think? What are we reading? Does this sound like historical narrative? Uh, or are we seeing other literary elements like repetition, parallelisms, or did it just sound like a straight-up historical narrative? Let's, let's take an informal vote. Who here thinks that what we're reading so far sounds kinda like poetry? Anybody? Some of you? Alright. Anybody read that and think it sounds more to me like historical narrative? Right, I'm getting historical account. Some of you? Alright. Who thinks it sounds like neither? Are there any of you that say neither? You faked me out. You, she was just fixing her hair. <laughs> All right. Here's what I'm going to do. What if it kind of sounds like both? What if it, so a neither. We have one vote for neither. Aha, I knew it. Yeah, I knew that's where you're leaning. So those are your options. It could be something historic. It could be straight up a story that someone's telling. It could be something poetical or maybe neither, Right. All right, I'm going to walk you through three different positions that are widely held in the church today, especially in, in our denomination. Some years ago, our denomination released a paper and they said, Here are three interpretive views of Genesis, uh, Genesis 1. And if you hold to any of these, uh, great. You know, they're not the same, but if you hold any of these, fantastic. They're all considered to have a high view of scripture, okay? So I'm going to walk you through the first uh, the three of them. There's others that maybe have uh, sp- sprouted off from this, but these are the main three that we want to walk away with, uh, really having a good understanding, um, and that you have good biblical su- support for it, okay? So this came up a second ago. The first view is, maybe it's the battery, I don't know, the calendar day interpretation. All right. Uh, what do you think uh, is the basis for this view? Plain and simple. The earth was created by God in six days, regardless of what science may say or may not have to say about it. The, the Bible says six days. Therefore, I believe it was six days. The person who holds this position might say, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but I have enough faith in what the Bible says to believe that somehow. A thousand years ago or a trillion years ago that God created the earth in six consecutive 24-hour days. End of story. I can't explain the rest, okay? With this belief, to a certain extent, you have to say, I'm not sure how to account for the time difference between what's written in the Bible from a a genealogical standpoint and the apparent age of the earth. I can't explain that. God worked it out. Therefore, it's not for me to worry about, okay? Uh, I've I've heard a quote, and I was trying to look for it this morning, trying to uh, remember or or figure out who said it, Uh, but some people might take this view and say, and again, I can't remember who quoted this, if... Maybe, maybe it's mine original, in which case I'll take credit for it. Uh, where God opens not his mouth, I will keep my mouth shut. Learic L- Fesco. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you tell me otherwise, okay? All right, so that's, that's, uh, that's interpretation number one. The calendar day interpretation. Number two. Uh, don't look ahead. The day age interpretation. Any guesses as to how this one might play out? Day age—it's a little bit descriptive there. Uh, It's the understanding that the interpretation of the Hebrew word yom or day in the English it can be, and it is that too. The idea has to do with the day—the the the fact that the word day is used in the opening chapter of Genesis. The Hebrew word for day yom yes refers to a single 24-hour period or or the cycle of the sun coming up and then going down and, and then starting all over again. However, As we see in similar use in English, sometimes day can suggest something else. Back in my day, I used to play outside, right? Back in my day, we didn't have computers. The other day, I told my kids, get off your computers. You've been on them all day, all right? Now, I just used the word day a few times, but did it have the same meaning each time? No, it did not, all right? At least one time I used them pointing to, to not a particular 24 hour calendar day. I'm referring to a period of time. We didn't have that they had that you could have in your home. It was fantastic. Uh, if we say back in King David's day, that could refer to the entire lifespan of David. So if we apply that reasoning to Genesis 1, that each day doesn't necessarily refer to a single 24 hour period. Now we have some breathing room to talk about millions of years, okay? The problem you might encounter with this, the idea is, is the way that Dave was talking about a second ago, the way that this account reads. Each day of creation is punctuated with, and there was evening, and there was morning. Now, if you're going to argue that the word yom is referring to a period of time rather than one calendar day, that it's not, you're saying it's not symbolism or metaphor, it's a, it's a different use of the word there. You're introducing elements of morning and evening. Now, now you almost can't, if you're talking about morning and evening, you almost can't be talking about uh, an era. It's either a 24-hour period or it's a metaphor. Okay, But even still, you can weave metaphor into historical narrative. That's possible. Uh, But even still, um, you you, you could say something like, for instance, uh, the sun set on King David's reign. Okay, in the context of, a, of, of historical narrative, you can say a sentence like that. The sun set on King David's reign. I'm introducing metaphor. It wasn't that a literal sun came down, but I'm saying the sun set on King David's reign. All right, uh, But usually the Bible in historical narrative doesn't speak in language like that. It's more straightforward. If you've ever read through Chronicles, if you've ever read for, through Kings, it's very direct. There's not a lot of metaphorical language that's introduced there. It's like, King David died. That's the, end of the, that's the end of it, right? Hey, David lived a long time and he died. So again, with this understanding, you have to believe we're reading a piece of literature that is a historical narrative and that there's probably a little bit of poetic license in there too, which again, is not typical for the Bible in historical narrative, all right? For instance, we don't see things like uh, Moses. He didn't say, yeah, the Red Sea split like a banana. He doesn't do that. He doesn't talk like that. It's not written like that. It's an odd element to have here if we're reading historical narrative, okay? So the first two, day-age interpretation, that's number two. And you probably already saw the next one. It is called framework. Framework. The framework view, all right? Framework. Uh, The third concept that centers around in a peculiar manner, all right? And went from here to there, etc. That's historical narrative. Very straightforward. Then at other times in the Bible, we have poetry, like in the Psalms or Song of Solomon, and there's usually strong indicators that you're reading poetry because you see metaphorical language. For instance, Proverbs 27:19 says this. Go back. As in water, face reflects face. This is Proverbs 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. If I were to ask a doctor, uh, the last time you did open heart surgery, when you opened up the chest, did you... Right? Because why? This is poetical language. This is metaphor. We're not expecting to see a literal face that that verse isn't literal in the historical narrative it's not that we don't take it literally, take it literally, take it literally in which it's written what genre would you think genesis is written in speaking of the whole book speaking of the whole book which contains stories of talking serpents and such would you think that the whole of Genesis is historical narrative? Poetry? Prophecy? Is it a letter? Apocalyptic? And that's the problem with Genesis. It seems to have a few different genres within it. There's songs in Genesis. Okay? There's historical narrative in Genesis. For much of the book, I would say for 90% of the book, it's written as historical narrative. Okay? But the opening verses of the creation account. It's really tough to identify. It's tough to identify. So it's been suggested by numerous biblical scholars that it's written in the style of sort of a play. Genesis one I'm talking about. It's broken into six different acts and each act is punctuated. For instance, at the end of verse five, you, you, you saw this a lot. And there was evening. And there was morning did you notice that was repeated a few times after every day it was punctuated with at the end of verse 5 and there was evening and there was morning at the end of verse 8 and, the, and there was evening and there was morning the second day verse 13 and there was evening and there was morning the third day verse 19 and there was evening And there was morning the fourth day verse 23 verse 31 same things repetition after each day okay that's peculiar that's not something you normally see in historical narrative. If you were writing a straight up histori- historical narrative, you probably wouldn't punctuate the days that way. Again, the verse style, it gives you enough pause to wonder, perhaps I'm not reading straight up historical narrative, all right? And then you might notice in uh, Genesis 1, 127, he says male and female, he created them. But then you go to Genesis chapter two and you get another account of how man was created along with, with uh, the female side of humanity. Why are there two different accounts? Unless chapter one serves a different function than chapter two. All right. Now looking at the chapter again, notice, notice the form of what's going on here in Genesis one. What did God create? This is going to be tough. What did God create on the first day? Light. Second day he created light and sea. Third day. He created land and vegetation. What did he create on the fourth day? Sources of light. What did he create on the second day? Sky and sea dwellers. What did he create on the sixth day? The land dwellers. Ah, there's a little bit of balance here. There's form here. There's a framework here. Okay, and then of course on the seventh day, he rested. Now these kind of things, go back. Now these kind of things, again, this is structure. This is form. This is not something you normally see in historical narrative. And again, this is peculiar. This is peculiar to Genesis chapter 1. You look at this and you see balance, symmetry, this is poetry. Poetry makes itself known by its strophic nature. Strophic means it's repetition. It has refanes, it has patterns, it has balance and, and, uh, and symmetry and all those things, okay? And so again, when you read that, you're thinking, hmm, what is this? Is this, uh, is this something dramatic, you know? Uh, is this poetry? And, and if it is poetry, then what is a day? Not sure. Now, so, so if I can put it on the record here. Uh, let me just say, I like the idea of Genesis 1 being some sort of poem or song or or uh something dramatic but by the time we get to genesis 2 i think we're dealing with historical narrative okay so then we read about it in genesis 3 it's a talking serpent because again you look at how it's written it's not written the same way as genesis 1 it's and then this happened and then that happened it's a talking serpent okay so this is why uh we get to Genesis 1, we're not exactly sure. ...self out here. And this is where I would encourage you to engage in your own study. Examine the, examine the text, <clears throat> go through it yourself, read through it, read through it several times. Then read Genesis 2 and 3 and 4 and see other songs, you know, in, uh, in even in Genesis. <clears throat> and then on your own, Make a conclusion is which, which it most, most likely is. And this is why I told you you could hold any of those views that I just discussed here, any of those three views, and any of them will be considered a high view of Scripture. But again, whatever, whatever place you land on, be sure you, you, you have it bolstered with Scripture. And you can say, I, I believe this, but not because I like it, not because I really hope that it works out this way, not because I really like science or not because I really like uh, you know, history, whatever. I I believe what I believe because this is what I believe Scripture testifies. This is what I believe Scripture tells me to believe, okay? And that's why I say you can hold any of those three views and still have what's considered a high view of Scriptures. But again, now I'm going back to the beginning. What did I say at the start? What's the non-negotiable part of the passage here? That God did it. That God did it. Okay, is the main point for us to determine whether or not the world was created in 144 hours or, or, or more? No, we're talking about the who of creation. That was going to be very dramatic there as I revealed who. Who or how? Oh, good, hung up in the middle. Perfect. <laughs> the main point of this account is to show an intentionality, the intentionality of God. Let me try one more time. You know, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. If you want to join our mailing list, <laughs> the main point is, is to, to show the intentionality of God. There's one thing that the world was created with intentionality. OK? It wasn't an accident. If it was created with purpose and design and order and deliberate intention, that means it just wasn't always there. It's not eternal. It came from somewhere. And where is that somewhere? The very mouth of God. It was spoken into existence by the very words of God. And if the world was put here with purpose and design, do you know what that means? It means that you have design and purpose. There's intentionality to the universe, there's intentionality to here. It gives you purpose. If the universe is a cosmic accident, then there is no purpose for you being here, no purpose. a cosmic accident. Live as you please. Do whatever you want. Murderer. It's all just a cosmic accident. But when you inf- uh, when you affirm, uh, this is not something else I was going to have here. So I'll say it slow. created by design then there's no way you can ever talk about right or wrong you know why think about it there's no such thing as a good person or a bad person if there's no intentionality behind creation there's no such thing as anything good it's just it's just random it's just accidents so you can never judge good or bad apart from the context of purpose how, how do you how do you uh, I think this is a, a old Tim Keller illustration how do you how do you know if if a hammer is good You only know if a hammer is good if you use it for the purpose it was made. You know, if a car is good, if a car does a poor job of making toast, is it a bad car? No, because you're not using the car to its purpose for which it was made. So if there's there's a design behind creation in you, that means you have a design, you have a purpose. Okay, you see, the doctrine of creation says there is a purpose. You were made. You were designed. Because you were designed, you were cast in the image of someone. You know, this is what gives you and the rest of creation purpose. We're here for a reason. We're here for a reason, to to love God and enjoy him forever. That's what the creation account primarily tells us. And whichever of those three that you stand on, I like framework. I like seven-day creation. Whichever one. You walk away with the idea that I have design and purpose because the creation has design, purpose, and order. Therefore, it all has design, purpose, and order. Okay? Any thoughts, comments, or questions as we uh, conclude? Yes, Lucy. Yeah. So he repeats that same process, that He was the Word made flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very intentional, too. And I I, I often wondered that in the beginning of John, uh, why why it does liken uh, beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Okay, Uh, and Genesis 1. And again, not what's, what's being talked about there, not the fact that, well, was this six days or 144 hours? No, the intentionality of God. And, and that his word, God's word, is the clearest reflection of who he is. You know, we, 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 we get no more clarity of God through his word. And that's why when he says the word was made flesh, all the more clear. I mean, so if you think, if you think that the Bible is clear based on what he says with his word, It's like when Jesus, the advent of Jesus, you want some clarity? This is the word. This is the word of God. This is going to be the clearest expression of who I am in Jesus Christ. The word. Love that. Someone else? Thought? Comment? What's a DVD? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, I think I'm older than you are, so I I remember DVDs. So yeah. well, well, that's, Who who who's was who the uh creator? We won the of that I think I won that contest oh, of cooking really steak. Wrong, that was the, uh, whoever, there was someone
1: at the party who was a member of the church
0: uh-huh. who uh, said, said it was his cousin who had made this series. And it's it's Probably. just interesting. It yeah. Like you oh, you do. and as a matter of fact, there used to be the uh, one of the the founding member of this class years and years and years and years and years ago, uh, with Josh Denny, Josh Denny, who's who's a member of the church for a long time. Uh, his wife Carolyn, they they moved up to uh, uh, Washington or near Washington D.C. He works for uh, the NIH. Yeah, he's very very smart, and he, uh, I've had so many discussions about this very very topic, and uh, and I could so if you want nerd out, like Dina's saying, I can get dozens of resources to, to look even further in it. Just as an informal informal show, uh, do, you still, do, you, do you still have the same position you held when you came in here, or maybe you're thinking differently? So how many of you are still, uh, I believe, six days, 144 hours? How many of you? Any of you? Okay. One, two, three, four. Come on, you don't be shy. How many of you are more of that second interpretive view that maybe, uh, okay, one, yeah, okay. How many of you more of a framework view? There's almost an even split, three ways. And guess what? Good news. I'm sorry. You can't hold more than one position. Again, they all all hold biblical weight to them. But again, we walk away with one another and say, well, how could you hold that? But again, we agree on the essential. God's intentionality designed the earth and spoke it into an existence. Yeah. Unless you're, if you're trying to tear down my argument, no. <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, let's say it was seven literal days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're right now you're, you're uh, sort of uh, detailing the first and the second view. The first view would necessarily say that when Adam was created, he was created as, say, a 20-year-old adult. Bam, he's there. Okay, that's, that's the first interpretive view. The second interpretive view would say that Adam, yes, was born as an infant and then slowly grew up in one day. You know, but a day is, is really more than a day. So that's the first and the second view that you've just articulated both of them. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, you, uh, maybe you're somewhere in between, you know, but, but yes. Mm-hmm. So is, is that a good view or not? Yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good view because, again, there, it holds a high value to, to Scripture. It makes Scripture the authority. And I, I believe this because I believe it's verified in, in Scripture. Anyone else? Thought? All right. If you have any other thoughts, comments, questions, or anything along those lines, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to have further conversations about them. I love, uh, I love this kind of stuff. As, uh, as Dean has already said, sometimes we nerd out on this kind of stuff, and I love it. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it is perfect, and we thank you that it is, not, it is without error. It is infallible. It is, uh, it is the thing that uh, we, we, we guide our lives by because we know that it is uh, flawless and so, Father, uh, as as you've given us revelation, help us to to dig into this revelation and uh, and, and help us to understand it. Uh, grant your Holy Spirit the the power to to open up our eyes, our ears, and minds to to understand what it says. And Father, for those things that uh, that we 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 don't have clarity on, uh, give us the faith to just trust you uh, to know that uh, you've you've shown us enough, you've shown us plenty, and you've opened up our hearts and our minds to. Uh, uh, to, to last us a, a lifetime and, and beyond. Uh, we thank you once again for your word and the beauty of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all have a good Sunday. Let's see if I can't get this to.